0: Hey guys, welcome to Startups of the Week season three. I'm Sophia Canthara and I'm here with Owen Thomas. Hey there. And Alex Wilhelm. Hello. And this week we'll tell you about a website that helps young professionals find housing in new cities, a company that creates 3D renderings for interior design needs, and a company that designs and manufactures products that found a slightly different exit. That's all coming up on Startups of the Week. Are you feeling overwhelmed by technology? Do you suffer from a nagging fear of missing out? Join Chronicle Managing Editor Fernando Diaz as he talks to a panel of industry experts about the effects of technology on privacy and ways you can protect yourself. It's Chronicle Chats at Herbst Theatre on September 17th. You can purchase tickets at sfchronicle.com slash chats. We'll start with Bungalow, which is a website that helps young professionals who are moving to new cities find a place to live. Alex, do you want to tell us a little bit about it?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of a cool play. I think we've seen things that are a bit similar, but what they do is they take a house, for example, and they get a long-term lease with it, and then they divide it up, I think, into individual rooms for renters, and what they do is they take a lot of the overhead away from you. So when you move to a new city, if you want to get your own place, you want to find roommates, set up your own Wi-Fi, et cetera, et cetera. With this service, they kind of take that and do it for you. So if you just want to move to, say, Boston now, or SF now, it might be a cool way to kind of get into there and get a place really quickly. I think it's kind of cool, actually, given the housing crisis.
2: And it's interesting in that it solves kind of a mismatch in the real estate market. You see it intensely in San Francisco. I know Sophia has dealt with this moving to San Francisco recently. But for example, we've got a lot of large apartments downtown luxu- in luxury buildings with lots of amenities. And the problem is they're like way too much space for someone who's just like working all the time, you know, just kind of needs a place to crash, what they do is they kind of divide these larger apartments up in, you know, and, you know, bedroom here, bedroom there, maybe people sharing bedrooms even because they they want a cheaper option. Sure. And they love the buildings because they've got amenities like a gym. They don't have to pay for a gym membership. So, you know, being able to take these apartments that are not really, you know, like, hmm, people don't really want a luxury three bedroom because they don't, you know, they don't have a large family. Um, and there's not, uh, not actually a lot of people who can afford the prices that those apartments are going at. Um, And they they address that market mismatch. So it's really interesting from that perspective. Now, I'm curious now, where does this happen? Is this only
1: NSF or is this more of a kind of across the U.S. service?
0: So right now they're in seven cities. Just a couple weeks ago, they announced that they're expanding into Portland and Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. Um, And when I was talking to the co-founders, they were saying they originally thought that this was just like a San Francisco, New York kind of problem. Coming to a new big city where housing is difficult to find and trying to find the right roommates, but then they realized, you know, you know, high cost of living there across the U.S., especially in cities, and so they expanded and they're looking to they they're on track to be in twelve markets, I believe, by the end of the year, and they're thinking in twenty nineteen of expanding internationally.
1: I love that. I would love to be like, let's just move to Paris and let them take care of all the things that I don't understand in French. Um, but on the idea about rent being a problem kind of across the U.S. Uh, Even in Providence, which is a much lower cost of living city than SF, I've heard many people and couples complain about how hard it is to rent there. So I guess this probably is a kind of across the U.S. issue and not just a a local to us here in San Francisco problem. But I I forget there's more to the rest of the world sometimes, but, you know.
0: Absolutely. And one cool thing about it is that um, they kind of explain it as like you're leasing into this network. So if you were to be living in San Francisco and you got a job in New York, Um, You wouldn't have to break a lease if you you could go to another bungalow property in New York. Um, So, you know, you don't have to ever worry about, like, I got a job here, but it's going to be so hard to find someone to, like, sublet for me, that kind of thing. You can stay within the bungalow network. And that's part of the reason why they're expanding to other cities. Right, because they, they want can to
1: create. build it out. Then, whenever I move jobs, for example, back to Chicago or whatever, then I could just stay inside of their network. That's really
0: cool. Exactly. What
1: age do you think you age out of this sort of, of living? I mean, oh, and
2: you're older than I am.
1: Like, is it like thirty five and you can't do this anymore? Uh, I think
2: you know. I think you know. At the point that you get married, you know, definitely. Like, this is you know, this doesn't take you all the way through your life. But people are getting married later, you know, and living on their own longer. Yeah. And you know, I think also people are really hungry for community. That might be the um that might be the secret sauce. Uh, Sophia, I understand they hold events in cities for kind of Bungalow members?
0: They do. So they have monthly social events at um in each of their cities for Bungalow residents. Um and that was the other aspect of it is that they're like Moving to a city, not just finding housing, is difficult, but it's hard to like to establish a friend group. Um, so the idea behind it is that you meet other, you know, young professionals, and you at these social events, and you can create like a friend group.
1: Yeah. I, think, I think that's really cool. And uh, they're they're in the news this this episode because they raised a bunch of money, and they also picked up a relatively large debt facility. So what are the details on that?
0: So they raised fourteen million in Series A funding, and they have about fifty million on um, a in de- debt
1: facility. Yes. So oh, and the debt facility is just going to let them get houses, do the upfront work to get them set up, and then they can rent them out without having to use their equity cash to do that.
2: Correct, because if you're a startup, you really don't want to, um, you know, you really don't want to uh, use your equity that um, you're using to build something, you know, really valuable long-term, hire engineers, develop develop software. You don't want to use that for kind of things that you can use debt for. And something like signing a long-term lease uh, to, you know, with the owner of a house that you are then going to get steady cash flow for, predictable cash flow. Banks love to lend against that. So it makes a lot of sense to kind of divvy it up that way. They're definitely going to need some expansion capital, and that's the equity. Yep. Um, and the debt really helps them lock up inventory. So I think smart.
1: I think, I think it's cool. And if I was moving to SF or one of these cities inside the bungalow network today, I would actually look at this because getting like Comcast set up is always such a horrifying experience. And I've done that in multiple cities. And if I never did that again, I would be... Be fine with that.
0: Yeah, I I wish I'd heard of this like about two weeks ago when I was moving (laughs) here and looking for a place to live.
1: (laughs) Well, better late than never, or I guess not really in this case. Um, What's going on with Generate?
0: So, Generate, um, which is based in Sunnyvale, they were just acquired by, it's called Savarica Capital Management. Um, the company, so what they do is they design products, um, and they also manufacture products for startups. So they can do the designing, the prototyping, and also manufacturing. Um, and they were just acquired recently.
1: Now, Spherica Capital Management, oh, and this is a, a kind of category of private equity firm that will occasionally go in and buy a private company. And Why do private equity companies do that, and, and what's kind of the cool thing in this case they're looking for?
2: Well, I think that it's interesting the classic Silicon Valley model is you raise venture capital money and then you um, yeah, and then you raise more money and then you raise more money and then you, <laughs> you go public eventually or you get sold and you know everyone gets a return um, in this case it doesn 't seem like generate had raised a lot of money beforehand um, they 've been around since two thousand and two so you know it may just be that their um their investors or owners kind of wanted to um Hand the baton and have someone else own this company.
1: Makes a lot of sense, but they they do design, so not really kind of recurring software revenue. We often see in private equity deals. This one feels a little bit special.
2: It's a, I, I mean it's basically a services firm is my read on it, and you don't get big multiples on a services firm. Now it's steady and you know probably profitable, and that's appealing to a private equity firm. Now I'd say the other thing that's unusual is seeing a private equity firm operate at this like at this level i i believe they do like 10 million to 40 million dollar deals and it's just unusual to see someone kind of looking at companies in that range as opposed to like really big you know multi billion dollar deals i mean private equity firms these days are looking at you know where's the you know where's the next uber that right. i can put you know multiple billions of dollars into.
1: Well, one thing I've heard from a lot of um, VCs on this subject, especially after they've had about two glasses of wine, is that private equity firms are now paying much higher multiples for a lot of different companies because there's so much uh, extra capital on the private equity side, so much dry powder, that people are being more adventurous in terms of what they buy. So maybe if that applies to the top end of the market, that they're willing to spend more money for companies they would have tried to pay less for before, they'll also shoot for smaller companies that wouldn't have been kind of private equity material in the past. Past. Look, you have to buy something with all that money. Right. Maybe this is what you end up buying because all the kind of obvious SAS deals are either too expensive or already done. I, I they, don't know, but I mean, that seems to fit what I'm hearing.
2: And I would bet there's less competition at the lower end of the market.
1: Oh, for sure, because most private equity funds, to your point, are enormous. And they just want to buy the biggest possible things and take cash out as fast as they can.
2: Yeah, it just, so. sounds, like, it just sounds like it's more work to assemble a, a really <laughs> valuable portfolio, um, You know, $10 million at a time. That's a lot of companies that you have to research each one, figure out what's going on with it. Um, you know, it's, It may not be as efficient. But um, but again, like might be less efficient, less competition, so it pays off. Yeah,
1: there could be a higher return there. But again, we're speculating a bit, but it's a cool, it's a cool deal. And uh, most notably, uh, Generate, the company that was acquired, has a focus on biotech and medical devices. And we've seen a lot of biotech IPOs this year, so perhaps the sector is hotter uh, than we otherwise would have thought.
2: I think I'd also mention that um, there is actually a lot of manufacturing that happens in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, people tend to think it's all gone overseas to Mexico or China. Um, and at scale, it mostly has, but people need fast manufacturing of prototypes or like small runs, uh, sometimes medical devices. You don't need like, you know, a hun- you don't need more than a hundred or a thousand at a time. And so there's still a lot of light manufacturing um, at, uh, at the low end in Silicon Valley good to remember that before we move on to modzi i want
1: to point out that owen just said that mexico is overseas um, <laughs> oh i am so sorry <laughs> but i let you finish your paragraph uh, offshore off wait no, oh. no just, oh just literally south a bit yeah <laughs> anyways what, what's going on with mods not
2: here <laughs> non-domestic non-domestic thank you
0: um okay so modzi is um it, they're like an interior design kind of startup Basically, what they do is you can, if you're looking to redesign, like, your living room, you can send in photos of the space that you want to design and take, like, a style quiz, what you're looking for. And an interior designer will work with you to come up with, like, with 3D renderings of the space. They'll pick out, you know, different furniture, decorations, that kind of thing. And they'll send them to you, and you can keep working with them for whatever revisions you want. Um, And then you can shop through Modsy to buy the exact pieces that they picked out. So you can have it look exactly you'll know exactly what it would look like and then you can get exactly what, you know, they showed you.
1: So do I pay Modsy for the help they do in help me select things and then they get a cut of what I buy or do I just buy things and they get a cut of that?
0: Um, you pay them for the service and then also for, you know, the furniture. Like and they that. have partnerships with places like with big designers like Crate and Barrel, but also like smaller designers as well.
1: This is uh, this is pretty apropos to my life because I just threw away half my furniture on Monday. In my SF apartment. Excellent. Well, so made, you, yeah. you may
2: be able to be a tester of the yeah. service. I'm, I'm, glad,
1: I'm, I'm glad you brought this mm-hmm. up. I'm going <laughs> to might
2: use it. The thing that strikes me about Modzy is that uh, they are going up against a giant competitor called House. That's H-O-U-Z. Mm-hmm. Though House started out as being much more about like designing, you know, having a dream book, um, something a lot of people use Pinterest for. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I last checked out House, I was struck by how e-commerce heavy they are now. They are real. House is really just pushing you to buy things. And I think it's interesting that Modsy has kind of picked up the baton of design services and then pushing the sale. Um, you know, I don't blame House for going after the e-commerce opportunity because that's going to be a way to get big, and they have a multi-billion-dollar valuation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think that, uh, I think that it's interesting how a startup can come along, do something similar to a company that's already established, um, because that, you know, that larger company has left the opportunity behind to chase something else.
1: It's also kind of a cool play that could have an augmented reality component to it. I mean, a lot of people like to use AR applications to show how things look if you bought them and put them into your house. So this sounds like a cool place where there's kind of some future tech out there that's kind of not big yet, but it's coming that they
2: could use too. Oh yeah, or or just through your phone. If you could hold your phone up and kind of when you look through your phone, it's showing you a picture of your living room, but with all the new stuff. Precisely, it gives yeah. you that
1: kind of like uh, advanced look, because one thing I'm terrible about is, like, is imagining things in space, and mm-hmm. so that's that always a struggle for me. I can't really tell what it would look like uh, before I do it.
0: Exactly, so like the CEO had a background in graphics and 3D graphics, and so the idea behind it was, like instead of getting all this furniture, rearranging it in your area, and then being like, I don't like it, that you could see exactly how it would look like, and then you know buy after.
1: I love that sort of thing. And that's the way tech kind of becomes real. Like, it's kind of the digital going IRL because you're using your phone, and I guess in that case, to actually improve your actual physical space, or the meat space, as the kids say online these days. Anyways, I think it's super cool. And they are based in SF and have raised just under $34 million to date. That's correct.
2: Well, that's been a great uh, lineup of startups. Um, This has been uh, now our third season that we're starting. Yes, sir. Um, So we're very excited to have you on board, Sophia. Thanks hey, for so I'm join.
0: excited to be here. Cool, um, and
2: we'll be back next week.
0: Yeah. Thank you for listening to Startups of the Week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Read more Startups coverage at sfchronicle.com.
1: And crunchbase.news.
0: I'm Sophia Kanthara.
1: I'm Owen Thomas. And I'm Alex Wilhelm.
0: And this is Startups of the Week.